Hello, hello, Leah Pika here. Today's guest can help you wow audiences with PowerPoint slides that click, humor that's quick, and messages that stick. Stay tuned to find out who's taking the stage on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 77. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics, visualizations, and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. All right. Hello and welcome to the 77th episode of the Present Beyond Measure Show, the only podcast still at the intersection of presentation, data visualization, storytelling, and analytics. This is the place to be if you're ready to make maximum impact and create credibility through thoughtfully presented insights and ideas. Today's interview is loaded with super fun and practical tools for becoming a more confident and successful business presenter using strategies from stand-up comedy, so be sure to stay tuned in. But before we get rolling, I have just a few key updates for you. First, a big warm shout out to the Yankees Win 25 for leaving an awesome review for the show on Apple Podcasts. They say, audio podcast pulls it off. I started listening to this podcast while searching for Ann K. Emery's content and initially had some doubts about an audio-only podcast on data viz, data management, and presentation, but Leah definitely pulls it off. Admittedly, she likes to use analogies, which helps, but also never gets in the weeds when discussing a technical aspect of the field. I think by also sharing her and her guest's thought process on a topic or subtopic is tremendously helpful for the data-centric listener. Wow! So appreciative of that review and thank you for the support. And be sure to leave a review on the show yourself in podcasts or Spotify if you find this to be a useful resource and I may read yours next. As usual, I'm super excited for today's guest, but in particular, this person has a deep passion for helping anyone become a more confident and well-received presenter using some pretty creative strategies. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome. Today's guest is a presentation maven. He takes hard lessons from over 20 years of building and delivering dynamic presentations in the government and private sector and hands them to you on a silver platter. I love that. He retired from the Calgary Police Service in Alberta, Canada, where he helped to train thousands of officers and partner agencies. And now he uses his experience as a stand-up comedian to help instructors hone their ability to deliver unforgettable training. And he is the author of a new book, Kick-Ass Presentations. I love that title so much. So please help me welcome the latest guest on the show, Dan Frazier. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Leah. This is awesome. (laughs) It's so great to have you on, especially someone who lives and eats and breathes the very topic that I'm most passionate about. So where we'll get started is first, everyone loves a great origin story. So in so many words, what inspired you to take this journey along effective presentation? Wow, thanks. You know what? I think I came to this space through a different route than than many. And so I, I was a police officer. 
was doing a lot of instructing and then eventually became a full-time instructor in our academy. So that means teaching all the physical skills of being a police officer from fighting and driving and how to communicate effectively with people. And I did that for six years. And during that time, I soaked in as much as I could from the resources out there, but I always wished that there was more. And when I left that training area, there was one other instructor in particular who said, hey, would you put together a course on how to actually teach and come back and deliver that to the unit? And I thought, wow, there's okay, there's an endorsement. Obviously, I'm doing something <laughs> right. So that has led me on a journey for you know almost the, the past decade of how do I impart actionable advice and actionable skills as far as presenting? Because I think there's a lot of people like me who I didn't join the police department to become an instructor or to be a teacher. I joined to be a police mm -hmm. officer. And the next thing you know, I find myself in this position where I'm teaching full time. And they have a couple of resources, some kind of some very basic stuff to get you going. But other than that, you're off to the races as far as building entire presentations, building entire courses, sometimes from scratch, and sometimes inheriting presentations from other people. And that can be a tough thing too, because you're going, oh, how do I improve on this? Or how do I make this better? How do I make it my own? So this really kind of started me on this journey. And I started with a workshop and then eventually that's grown into the book also by the same title, Kick-Ass Presentations. And my goal with that is to give people resources and some how-tos. We were talking before the podcast, Leah, about your book as well and you know, giving people some actionable stuff and they want examples because I just think there's so much there's – a, there's a lot of resources out there that look good on the surface, but it's a lot of advice like, you know what you got to do? Be dynamic. You know, you gotta, you gotta engage. Be passionate. You be passionate. Engage your audience and all these kind of things. And people go, oh wow, this is so good. But it, they don't tell you actually how to do it and how to get there. And that's what I'm really passionate about. Is okay. What are the what are the steps that people can actually take? That's what led me into this space. And then I, you know, I retired two years ago. Perfect timing, by the way, right at the start of the pandemic, <laughs> right, if you're going to wow. be a presenter, but that's okay. And it's really allowed me to take focus on my book and take a deep dive into presentations. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what I find so fascinating about this origin story is, especially for me too, I definitely didn't go into the world of digital and marketing analytics to become a professional speaker. But I think sometimes when you have a knack for explaining things and combining with that passion, and you're finding yourself wishing you had been taught things a certain way about what it is you're passionate about, that's where that is really born from. So it's so, it's so great to see when passion fuses with ability to explain and just improves a whole area. For sure. Yeah. And if I can make somebody else's life easier and give them the steps, I think it was Roy Vaden that says that we are most powerfully positioned to help the person that we once were. And so probably like you, you come from a world where there's maybe not a lot of resources. And so you kind of either come up with your own or you have a search far and wide and and like me collect little gems of wisdom all over and then and then package them up for other people so that they can be effective in delivering whatever their message is 100% i actually created my data storytelling methodology it's called the pika protocol because when i was in this period of like 10 years of self study 
there were so many different disciplines and books and opinions and very abstract kind of, like you said, pie in the sky, like, what does your audience care about? Or, or And that's it. Or you should make sure it ties to objectives. And that's great. But also like, the, and then what? <laughs> so I completely understand. And I think that as great as these aspirational philosophical mindset shifts are to get people, it's like, that's like getting them revved up for the race, but then how do you actually let them out on the track and, and start running? So I appreciate that a lot. So for you, what sets apart a normal run of the mill, especially business presentation, because that's kind of the core focus for this audience from a kick-ass one? For me, one of the, the biggest things is that people not only are engaged, meaning they're they're paying attention and they're not scrolling on their phones under the table or that kind of thing, but really what you're teaching has to be memorable because you can give the most amazing presentation. It can be accurate. It can be all these things. People can go, you know what? I just saw Leah. She was amazing. Oh, really? What did she talk about? Huh. Uh, I, no I, do, I do not recall, or what, you know, and so so that's it's like the kiss of death. Oh uh, well, that's that's fine for for keynotes, you know, if if yeah. you're if you're like a motivational type speaker and that kind of thing, that's that's fine. But when we look at more what the average person does who's a professional, they need people to be able to act on their information later. And if, and if people can't remember the information, then what good was it? So really, it needs to be two things. It needs to be engaging at the time, but also the stuff needs to be memorable so that people can take action and actually change their behavior when they leave the presentation. That's a really interesting point because I always think of a successful presentation as memorable so that there's some kind of transformation that happens that leaves a person better than when they found it. That's my that's my rule for life, but that's like my credo as a presenter, leave them better than when I found them. And it's interesting around the motivational speaker aspect. It, it is true that the power is that moment. They're, they're creating a powerful moment where it's just totally about presence. But I 100% agree the most of the presentations we'll give, especially in a business context, it's great to create that moment, but it's critical what you've left them with in terms of motivating to actually do something about your information or else what was really the point? You know, what's the intention? Yeah. And I, I, I often ask this with presentations that I give, I'll ask the audience, what's the goal of training? And often it's like, it's all kinds of good stuff, you know, to learn something new to all kinds of different reasons, but rarely do people come down to, to change behavior, you know, and, right. <laughs> and it, you know, if yeah. we're not doing that, then maybe we are just entertaining people or in a lot of cases, not even entertaining them no, <laughs> during the no. presentation, you know? <laughs> no, I agree. I actually, I'm delivering for the first time next week. I'm super excited and so nervous brand new keynote called Lights, Camera, Inaction, which is the secrets that Hollywood uses to tell stories that we're not using in presentations. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so we'll see. It's not super heavy on data. It's more about the mechanics of what Hollywood and cinematic techniques are and how can they be incorporated because the key to being memorable, I mean, most of the movies I remember were effective at using those techniques, right? And maybe I didn't change my behavior because of it, but it left this indelible mark on me that 
Hollywood lives and dies by. Yeah, absolutely. And I think more people could learn from that. And you know, with social media and are they they're always talking about our attention spans are so low and you really right. uh, you know you, you have yeah you have a <laughs> you know a goldfish has a memory of or an attention span of 9 seconds and people it's even less well i mm-hmm. and i talk about this a bit in the book where yeah that's fine for scrolling if you're scrolling on TikTok or or Instagram or some kind of social media you do need to grab people right away but what about movies we have people sitting for two hours and going, wow, I wish that was longer. They're using yep. certain techniques. And a lot of that is using emotion and using storytelling to be able to get their point across. And if you can do that and sneak all your data in there in an entertaining and memorable way, then- <laughs> The Trojan horse. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's yeah. even better. That's a really interesting point is like, how many business presentations actually leave us wanting more? the way we are left wanting more at the end of a a really gripping TV series. And, you know, I want to be realistic. I'll get the argument a lot that, oh, but the data is boring and it's, and I'm like, that's just a mindset. If you remember that your data is created by people, humans, generally, unless you're like studying tree growth, (laughs) they're generally, especially marketing data, is created by people. And there's some kind of struggle, conflict, character, wall that you can help them scale using whatever product you have. So what is standing in the way between your customer and their hero story, right? So it can be a little more dramatic than it's thought of. I just think that people think that data is just data when it's actually just a digitized story. Yeah. And I I think you hit something on an important point there where people go, data is boring. Well, it's the same. It's the same as starting out your presentation, and I've been in a hundred of these where people go, "You know what, guys? This is going to be really dry. I'm sorry, we got to get through it." And it's just this slog, and it's like, "Well, you've been warned." Yeah. Well, how does that? How does that help? Like, you're not you're not setting a good expectation for what people are going to be experiencing, and if the presentation is dry, you're the presenter. Like. Uh, make it, yeah. Make, yeah, this is on you now, and <laughs> and it's interesting because I work sort of part time in the in the financial industry. My wife is a financial broker, and so I experience a lot of these financial, you know, like the, it's very very data heavy presentations, and sometimes they're they're meant for the public, and sometimes they're meant for brokers and that kind of thing. But still, nobody's really at the granular level that these people that work in finance are all the time. And so, I, and I find that they have a really hard time in most cases making that engaging or even having a little story behind it. And it's a lot of explaining graphs and it's rough. It's rough out there. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is a really good point. It's like, how can we challenge ourselves to have fun with this? People don't have enough fun with this data storytelling process where one of the analysts I was coaching quite a long time ago, he started a presentation and the very first thing he said was, okay, guys, here's the bad news. And like, just lay this like unfortunate thing no one wanted to hear. And I was like, no, don't say it like that. You know, it's so funny because 
every story has bad news in it somewhere. There is no story without the bad news or else the hero or the character wouldn't be a hero. They would just be a person or an animal or whatever. But nothing to struggle against. Right. They're just... It's stasis and stories are born out of a break from stasis and in some way, bad news has to be a part of that. So when you reframe it as, hey guys, there's good news here. We found an opportunity or we found a problem and we, we think we have a way to solve this. Let's take you on a journey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're looking at it as hey, this is bad news and you want to present it, then how can the audience, the the audience isn't going to make that leap on their own. Right. You have, right. you have to hold them by the hand and take them there. Yeah. It's 100%. Wow. So aligned. So one of your chapters is called Failed to Plan, Plan to Fail. That's one of my favorite other credos, but I'd love for you to elaborate on what that means to you. Yeah. I think people don't prepare enough. So again, aligning what you're going to teach first with your objectives. You know, when we start planning a presentation, what do you want your audience to get out of this? Because it's it's for them. And if we're not clear on where we're going, how can we end up there? Certainly our audience isn't going to end up there magically on their own. So I think I'm a big advocate of spending more time in preparation than people think. And I'm certainly guilty of this. Sitting down, you go, okay, I got a presentation about whatever. All right, open up PowerPoint <laughs> and start building slides and with no real clear objectives. So if people can spend a little bit more time understanding what objectives are and then building those out, man, they're there as like a guidebook all the way along. And then once you've got that part down, then you've got the other part, which is kind of the rehearsal part of it. And I think people fall down on this as well, where we confuse practice with rehearsal, where you scroll through your slide deck, for example, and go, yeah, I think I, I think I got this, and and oh, no. you know we can we can, we confuse familiarity with mastery, and we really need to have a death grip on our material and know it better than anyone in the audience, so that it, you know it's fine to use your say your your slide deck as a bit of a handrail, you know, to keep you on track. Of course, but if yeah. you don't know what to say, and right. you need that next slide to exactly to go, oh. Then you know we're we're not prepared, and I actually tell the story in the books. I, I go to a lot of conferences, and I was at one where this woman she'd come to Canada from the U.S. She was representing a company, and she said right at the start, "Hey guys, this this isn't my presentation. This isn't my slide deck. I don't normally present this." And then just proceeded to click through the slides, and kind of every slide that came up was kind of like, "Oh, okay." Uh, what do I know about this and what can I, I speak about? I think this about? is here because- Yeah. And it was <laughs> right. just like, wow, like you just missed a huge opportunity to make a big impact because you got this audience, an international audience sitting there and it speaks to credibility. And And she talked at one point about, well, when I was on the aircraft on the way here, I read a magazine and the article said whatever. And I all I could think was- you shouldn't have been reading a magazine. Why did you read a magazine? You should be you should be knowing your presentation, you know, inside and out. And so then it gets down to the rehearsal of actually setting up, you know, whether it's a projector or a screen and standing there and going through your entire presentation. And I always find little stuff where I go, "Oh, I didn't realize there's this the slides come up that way or this little animation or I'm getting tripped up in this little part here." 
I better go. I better figure out what I'm going to say. That out. Yeah, mm-hmm, and just smooth mm-hmm. it out, and especially the the opening and closing of the presentation, which is often done. Just there's no thought given to it. Off and the that, cuff. Yeah, yeah. So again, that's if you're not planning this stuff out, it's not going to magically go amazing for you. I hope everyone is listening because. This is so crucial. And I see this a lot. I actually spoke at my first in-person conference a few weeks ago after COVID. It was unreal. And they had several vendors do sort of a showcase. And I thought to myself, wow, this hasn't changed in a few years where it was clearly the first time that they had seen the deck and they were getting caught by surprise. And look, for me, I really love presenter view. I often rely on it so I can see my next slide and have smoother transitions. So when I don't have that, it is more challenging, but I'm not surprised by any of the slides. I created them all. (laughs) I know what the purpose of all of them are there. And for vendors in this space, for service providers in this space, it's especially critical because they're investing in these conferences as startups to help their business survive. And when it comes across, and especially when you declare almost as if you're trying to gain people's forgiveness for not being prepared, to me, unfortunately, what that communicates to me as an audience member is that I just didn't care enough to make sure that this was a a moment we create together where I could be in service to you. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, this is a service opportunity for the audience. And if I haven't made good on that promise, then I don't know why I'm there to begin with. Right. And you've got this opportunity to bring value to people. And again, it's such a missed opportunity. And if you're for whatever brand or company you're representing, even if you're like myself, I'm kind of the it's kind of the Dan show that I'm the face of the I'm the face <laughs> of the company right now. So if I if I'm not doing well, that's that certainly speaks to again my level of preparation and how much I actually care about bringing value to the people in the audience. Right, of course, one hundred percent. So something you talk about is your fast method of making messages stick. And I know where that idea comes from. And you describe it as feelings, analogies, surprise, stories, and tangible. I'm wondering if you could kind of give an overview of those steps, but I want to zero in on the analogy one, especially because that one's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, for sure. So when we look at, like you tell people, you should have a message that people can remember and stuff. Okay, great. How do we actually do that? Well, there's some, there is some structural stuff about how we teach and how we test, et cetera. But within, you know, you're building a presentation or a PowerPoint. How do we make sure that there's some stuff that's actually going to be sticky? And there's certain things that stick with us, like feelings. This is why the story and the, like you're talking about the Hollywood and the cinematics, there's just emotion woven through that entire thing. And really, we should be doing the same thing with our own presentations and making things a little bit more emotional. And data for sure doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. So if we can look for opportunities to put a human face figuratively and literally on something, people really respond to faces, that's going to be stickier and it's going to be more memorable than had we just talked about numbers. Because numbers on their own really just tend to fall right out of our head. Let's say you were showing like a landing page, and this is specific to my field, but landing page abandonment rate, like at what rate do people come to a page and then they leave right away, which is 
the worst thing that can happen if you're trying to generate leads. So you could tell your decision makers, you could have like a pie or a bar that shows 80% of people left. But what I decided to do one day, because no one seemed to really care about that, and I was using bullet points and, and whatever. So I took a picture of what could look like one of our disgruntled potential customers who was like confused because our page was broken and, and things like that. And he's like looking very upset and he's on the phone, customer service. And I had just big number. 80% of people are possibly having this experience and leaving. And that was what actually activated my audience into feeling empathy and motivating to do something where it didn't require a chart. And I think there's some discernment there for sure. Yeah, for sure. And even you know, breaking that down where four out of five people that come here look like this guy, uh, <laughs> right. what, are we, what are we doing wrong? And that, that, that face and the feeling that they have of connecting with that picture is going to be far stickier than you know, a pie chart with 80% and that kind of thing. So yeah, absolutely. And the A is analogy. You know, anytime that we can relate something to what our audience already knows. Because what we want to do is take them from the known or what they know into the unknown, which is what we're trying to convey to them. And if we can relate that to what they already know, then that's great. So I'm a big, big fan of analogy and of even just being able to say something in a funnier way or in a more interesting way, it just tends to stick a lot better. And so being purposeful about like building some analogies, and certainly we can we can come back to that one. Surprise is one of those. If we can get people to have one of those aha moments and they're we reveal, you know, a gap in their knowledge. They didn't know that. And so rather than sometimes just giving everybody the answer to stuff, have them guess, you know, okay, I, I've done analytics on your website. How many people are clicking here, but then clicking away before they actually engage with anything on the site? Have them guess. And then when they're going, oh, well, um, you know, maybe 10% of people, but everybody else is going to love what we do. And you go, nope, here's the actual <laughs> answer. You know, first of all, they're engaged with thinking about the material because you've asked them to. And then secondly, they get that kind of that surprise. And that's going to be, you, you broke their guessing machine, and that's going to be stickier for sure. Well, the next S would be stories. So, like you said, I'd love that you're doing this thing to bring cinematics and stories and that kind of thing into the the data world. Look to tell stories. Like it, so much of our human history has just been learned and passed on from story, and people love to hear a story. That's right. You know, even kids at bedtime. It's yeah. You want to watch a YouTube video, or do you want do you want to hear a story? Oh, I'd love to hear a story. So again, it's just being purposeful, and sometimes it means looking at here's an important point. You know what? I don't have a story for this. Maybe uh, there's places I can go to get a good story that's going to mm. illustrate my okay. point. I can talk to somebody else in the industry who's had a similar situation, or perhaps it's just keeping your mind open that we need to have stories that go along with all of this stuff. And I've got some stuff in my book about really how to mine your friends and family and coworkers on <laughs> how to how to get stories because everybody's got them and for a lot of people they think eh, that's kind of mundane but yeah there's just, there's so many great stories out there so if we can incorporate that that's great and then finally having something tangible so that is making things more concrete and really when we're talking about data that's 
what you're trying to do is you're trying to convey this message in a way that is so concrete for people that they can easily grasp onto it. And that's where some charts and graphs, like some of the ones that I've seen in the financial sector, your eye doesn't even know where to go on the screen. So what is the takeaway message here? And so just making that more tangible. And that just means like you're already doing, including pictures, making numbers visual in a way that relates to something your audience already knows. In law enforcement, we've got something called the best evidence rule. And that means if you're going to go to court, rather than describe a knife, it would be better to have a picture of that knife. And what would be better than having a picture is to bring the actual knife into court. Mm. And so people love props and they love to actually see those things. So if you're able to do that, bring these things actually into your presentation and let people see it, let people touch it and experience it. Mm -hmm. And that is far more tangible and concrete. And they're going to walk away remembering more than had you just described it or even just shown a picture. That's fantastic. What's the name of that rule? Again, that's called the best evidence rule. Even you relating that to a topic outside of data and presentation, I think it allows the brain to switch to a context that is more concrete, as you said, more familiar. So, to the analogies purpose, I always think of what are things that people can really relate to? And that's why I chose movies and TV as the context for this keynote, because I'm actually going to be citing a whole bunch of just like the most beloved movies, TV stories, and relating it like, what if Game of Thrones put an executive summary of the show on a slide before you started watching? What do you think would happen? (laughs) So I'm trying to show like, what would happen if we did the same things in business in Hollywood? It wouldn't work. And showing it in the context of these familiar things like The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, The Avengers, things that they can understand and see that contrast, they'll say, oh, oh, that's why that works in Hollywood. 100%. I think that's that's awesome. And it's you're already grabbing onto something that people are passionate about, whether it's movies or their their, their TV program. (laughs) They go, I I know, you know, I know Game of Thrones. And that's going to be a sticky thing because you're right. They're going to be thinking about, you know, this boring executive summary that you have to sit through, you know, on Netflix or whatever before you advance to the first, you know. Right. You know, everybody attests that they've read this document before you move on. Yeah. Yeah. It would not work well. Do you have any analogies or metaphors or things that you've made concrete that can kind of help people understand how you've related concepts that way? Yeah, that is putting me on the spot. You know, I didn't, re- <laughs> you know, what I didn't realize is that the whole best evidence rule and talking about bringing evidence to court is really also an analogy for giving presentations. And I didn't see those two, but yeah, people can, can picture themselves. Even if they've never been in a court, everybody's you know enthralled. It seems right now with what's going on with Johnny Depp. So there's a lot of court watching going on, and people can imagine themselves in there. I think analogies are one of those things that when I hear a good one, I'll write it down. Oh, okay. And sometimes I, it's not even something that I know where I can use it, but I just go, I really like that, and so I'm going <laughs> to yeah. write that down. You can pull from it like a, a like a library. Totally. You know, you can look for opportunities to use that in what you're teaching. And and if you have a kind of a library of analogies, sometimes you're right, it'll even spark something where you go, ah, I can actually use that analogy here. Yep. Sometimes the analogy itself makes you 
relate to something that you're doing. Right. Like I, I thought of this where I was not looking for an analogy of why like really overstuffed slides with lots of graphics and bullets and logos and things. I wasn't looking for analogy for that, but I was shopping one day and at the grocery store and I was like stuffing my cart with stuff. And then I'm handing her these things, my items kind of one at a time and the cashier's scanning them one at a time. And suddenly I had this light bulb moment that this is how good presentations work, where you try to really separate out different ideas on each slide and, and let people digest them one at a time versus shoving all of the items through the checkout at once wow, where yeah. the cashier would freak out. So I, I know what you mean. Like once you start tuning your antenna that you're going to be using things like analogies and stories and metaphors, your antenna start picking up things like, oh, that's funny how politics, this part of politics work, that's kind of interesting. Or, oh, this is a funny thing that happens at the airport. And like you said, I actually have an Evernote of stories, like just interesting stories, but I haven't thought of using that for analogies. So that's a really good suggestion. Yeah. Having one, I've got one for stories. I've got one for analogies and, you know, doing uh, stand-up comedy and stuff. I'm always, it, you know, <laughs> if you if you think of something that's funny or that might be the kernel of some, maybe I could, if you don't write it down, it is gone. You know, you go, oh, I'll remember this for remember. sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure I'll remember. But it's kind of like waking up. You can you remember a dream for a for a short time, and then it's you know by <laughs> mid morning right. you're like ah, it's gone, and it's the same way. And <laughs> so yeah, anywhere that you can use to to capture it, and and I'm a big fan of Evernote as well because that way if I, even if I lose my phone, it's in the cloud. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is where technology is amazing. Yeah, that's beautiful. So. What is some of your take on using humor, especially with your background in stand-up humor? You mentioned video, you mentioned memes. And I love these things for big conference keynotes where the point is to have a good time and, and be memorable. What's your take on that during, quote, dry, drier business meetings? Can they be used? A hundred percent. Like this is why they're dry is because people go, we're, we're, this is corporate, <laughs> this is official. There's no room for, for humor here. Right. That's right. Yeah. We're robots. Yeah, we're robots. <laughs> yes. We're here for the numbers and the numbers only. Yeah, it's Everybody loves to laugh. And so what I tend to ask people, if you're going into the same, you're going to a business presentation, it's, it's your company or another company, and you've got two choices. You can go through door A, that's going to be just the standard business presentation. You're going to get all the data and that's going to be it. On the second one though, it's going to be the identical presentation. But in that one, you're going to chuckle or you're going to even smile just once. Mm -hmm. Which one are you going to choose? You're going to yeah, you're going to go to the one that's Definitely a little bit the dry one. Oh yeah, like I, who, <laughs> nobody wants that. And so when we think about it from the what we want as an audience member, yeah, I want something where I don't care if it's corny dad joke puns or whatever. It's still something where where <laughs> if we can, yeah, it's an attempt, and and you know we can we can relate to our audience a little bit more. It's an emotion. And anytime right. that we can That's kind true. of eject, inject a little bit of, of emotion is awesome. And so there's some real kind of easy ways to do that. There's some method to it. And this is one of the things that I kind of learned going into doing comedy sort of very part-time and stuff, but there's formula to some of this stuff. And certainly if you're using a slide deck or a PowerPoint, looking at some of the subjects that you present on and just 
Googling that with the word funny with it and see what comes oh, up. What a great tip. Yeah. And see what comes up. And especially if you can get a picture that doesn't require a lot of reading. So I know there's, you know, you might find a funny sort of New Yorker style comic, but if people have to read a whole sentence or whatever, it's not going to hit the same as if you can just put that picture up there and get the immediate visceral response mm, of something. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is to use that picture as your punchline. So you have to know that it's coming up and you have to prep your audience for it so that you can say, you know, an example would be safety. And you've got, you talk about, you know, if we're going to be safe here, we we do need to be able to spot what the warning signs are in our industry. And then you use your presentation remote to advance to the next slide. And it's a picture of somebody doing something dangerous. Like I've got a picture of a guy who's sleeping in the engine of a huge aircraft. (laughs) And (laughs) it's kind of funny on its own because people can imagine what's going to happen if this airplane starts up and everybody kind of gets a a chuckle out of that and you move on. And it's as simple as that. So you're not going to get people rolling on the floor laughing. Uh, It's just, it's not going to happen. There's professional comedians. They're trying to do that. They're only trying to get laughs and they can't do it. So most people in most audiences, especially in a business setting, will just appreciate the attempt at it. And if you're not sure if it's funny, again, this is part of the preparation. Run it by some people. Test it. Yep. Test it out and see. And and don't make the first time that you use that the big show, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is exactly what I'm not doing with this next one. But you practice things enough times and also you're willing to let each experience just be an experience and something to learn and grow from. If you treat every experience as the Olympics – you're going to bring so much pressure to yourself that you may not even try to begin with. So the way I go is even with this next one, I'm like, all right, this one's probably going to be messy. I can't see my next slide. I'm really like, it's really super fresh. It might be a tired early morning crowd. And you know what? I'm going to get some, it's going to, it's like the circus. You get some kinks out, you figure out the rough patches. It will not be the last time. And you go from there. And you learn from that and you tweak it a little bit next time. And that's, again, one of the things that I've found from comedy is that you can practice it at home holding a toothbrush or a remote or whatever, like a microphone, (laughs) (laughs) but you don't really know how that's going to go until you're in front of a live audience. And then you're hoping to get the feedback that you're looking for. And if you're not getting any feedback, that's also feedback. <laughs> if, you, if you're not pulled off stage with a cane, right, then it right. was good enough. I just look for, you know, in the start of like good enough, they took something away and there's always room for improvement. Yeah, that's always exactly. helped me. I, I feel like all of my stuff is just constantly in beta. Like it's never, yes. it's never, it's never really done. I've never not changed it. Yeah, no, it's it's good for today. But every presentation I've given has been slightly different because I do that sort yeah. of a, a hot wash afterwards and go, okay, what went well? Like, what do I need to change for next time uh, so that you can be better next time? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And that's where I think companies can learn a thing or two because they like to have their standardized presentation where if you're talking about this, here's your slide deck and there's no opportunity for the presenter to inject their own stuff. It's you need to march through this. And and I've I've suffered that where you've got slides full of text or just this nonsense on there. But it's that's what tables and (laughs) it's been established. This is what corporate wants. And so you've got all this distracting stuff with page numbers and tables and logos and uh, yeah. But you do what you can. What I 
try to tell people because they usually, once they get equipped with tools, they're faced with a dilemma of trying to affect this kind of cultural shift within how their company does things. Their company enlisted me to help make this shift. And yet many of the paradigms that they've instituted limits that creative potential and hamstrings them in terms of how to do this more effectively. So, you know, what I try to tell them is like, have this conversation, have it as a thing where you are trying to partner with them, where people love cupcakes and cupcakes are not necessarily good for you right? But they want them. <laughs> so That's right. people don't always want what's necessarily in their highest service. So this is about having the conversation of like, this is actually in a higher service to you. Let's try this out and see how it works because you never know what you're going to love if you see it done a different way. Yeah, you're right. I think people are kind of get just married to these ideas that this is the way that it needs to be. And I've you know bumped up against that with corporate templates where well you yes. need to, you need to have you need to have it on the template and it's like okay why do we have a template right and they go well <laughs> that's just how things have always been done or that's how you know head everyone office has one. everyone has one and so okay so if you've got the same background color and the same font and the same font color and the same font size Again, if we're trying to make things sticky so that people can remember it after and nothing stands out because you got that same thing going on. Cookie cutter. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's not, it doesn't lead to engagement. And often once people realize that, they go, okay, we'll loosen the reins a bit here, you know. All right. So we've entered the next segment, which is called the upgrade. The upgrade is some kind of tool, resource, book, something nifty that people can check out after this because people love fun things to check out. So it would be great to know, was there a resource that played like a pivotal role in your journey? Yeah. And I I know we kind of talked about this before and I'm going to take it in a different direction. So one of my favorite resources is a company called Manager Tools. And I've been listening to their podcasts for about 15 years and I've you know, paid the money to go to their training, but they they just offer so much value just in their podcasts that are completely free. And it's everything from presentation stuff, but not just that. It's a lot about actionable advice on how to deal with some very specific managerial and workplace uh, kind of issues. And they have been really pivotal in my growth at work and also just even in the way that I put my book together. And Mark Horseman, who's the founder or the co-founder of that, was one of the endorsers for my book. And that was uh, that was such a, a huge win. So if I can direct anybody over there, man, it is like drinking from a fire hose. There's if, if you have if you have a question about interviewing about presentation about all kinds of stuff man they've got a, a podcast for it and they're oh, and they're awesome. and they're short they're like 20 minutes they're meant to be sort of consumed on your drive uh, and it's all, uh, yeah and it's always very actionable so i'd send people over there well, i'm going to check that out yeah perfect i love new podcast recommendations obviously so that's so great all right so we've arrived at our final wild card question so think very hard here and imagine this very plausible scenario 
You're walking into a live taping of the Roast Battle comedy show when suddenly you trip and fall into a vortex that pulls you back to the moment you're about to deliver your first presentation or training. Do you remember what you're presenting about and what advice would you give to your past self? Wow. You know, my first real presentation was when I was eight years old and I was in, <laughs> I was, I was in second grade in we'd call grade two here in Canada, second grade. And, uh, and it was in French because I was at a French immersion school and I had kind of worked my way through the class and then to the school and presenting in front of the whole school. And one of the, I'll never forget this because of course, you're a kid. Well, even adults do this. You're so worried about blanking when you're up there. And this is this is before PowerPoint or anything. So one of the teachers there actually had me draw out a picture for each segment of my talk on a cue card. And they punched a hole in the corner and they put a little ring through it. So if I dropped it, I, you know, I always know which one is next. And they had me draw the pictures because it was important for me to know what was up next and to be involved in that process. And I made it to the provincial levels, kind of like the state level of of doing that and and didn't do as well as I as I would like for somebody who's eight years old. Well, you had high standards back then. Yeah. And I, I think I, I would tell my, myself back then to just enjoy the process. Like there's just so much pressure and enjoy the the process and the opportunity to be able to speak to so many people that it's it's just such a privilege and i think that we can forget that with all of the other pressures that we have going on in getting presentations together is that this is it's a real it's a real privilege to be in front of people you're you're giving is. time from your life that you're never going to get back and they're giving you time from theirs so soak it in and be present and enjoy the moment I love that advice so much. It, it kind of shows two sides of a coin. Really hold sacred this m privilege. That's a perfect word for this privilege that you have of occupying people's time, which is getting less and less, and being in service to them, creating a moment for them, leaving them better. And at the same time, you're going to make it out alive. This is what I've told myself over and over when I thought I was going to expire on stage from nerves or technical problems or blanking on things. I was like, wait a minute, I'm here because I've made it out alive every time. I'm going to make it out alive today. So that's what I want to offer to like, you're going to live. You're going to live. <laughs> yep. You're going to live and you're going to get better and you're going to do it again, hopefully again and, and do it better and enjoy the process more every time. Yeah, really diving into the actual process of improvement, I think, is what makes that panic and terror so much easier to get through. So it's really valuable. So this was awesome. I love this conversation so much, but unfortunately, our time has run out. I'd love for you to tell the listeners where they can keep up with you. I'll direct them over to my Instagram at kickass uh, underscore presentations. They can certainly check out my my website um, at FraserTrainingSolutions.com. Uh, and certainly if they are interested in learning more, my book, Kickass <laughs> Presentations, is available on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, on Audible, on Kindle, uh, you name it, you can find it there. So <laughs> carry your pigeon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Send me an email. I'll carry your pigeon one out to you. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, that's great. I'm so excited for the success of your book and everything. And all of the links, resources that you've mentioned to keep up with Dan will be on the show notes page for this episode. I want to thank you so much. It was such a pleasure crossing paths with you. And I hope we get to do that again. And till next time. For sure. Thanks, Leah. Appreciate it. And good luck with your book. Thank you. All right. I hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I love pulling in experts from all different walks of life and experiences, just so we can see how can what each of us have learned really help up our game in the conference room. So to catch all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 077. And if you'd like to connect, Don't be shy and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter and be sure to send a connection invite with a note mentioning the show. I love to meet my listeners and I respond to every message. And I'll leave you with today's presentation inspiration by Mark Twain. And that is humor is the good natured side of a truth. I really love that one. My take It can feel really scary to try to incorporate humor into your data presentation, especially with particularly dry subject matter. But it's key as a speaker to remember that we're not presenting to robots, but rather humans. So take your time with it, play around with it, practice, and try to have some fun with it. That's it for today. Stay well, stay safe, and namaste. Namaste.